Good morning, everybody. We are the Minderman family, and today we're going to be lighting the peace candle. You probably received a Christmas card this year that says, Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And while that's great, uh, it's a great message for this time of year, it's also something that we should be living out daily in our lives. Um, there's a popular quote that I love that says, Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. And that's what we're here to celebrate um, this season. And Jesus opened us, opened the way to peace with God, and he desires that we carry his peace into this world. Today's scripture is Luke 2, 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rest. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for sending us peace to this earth in the form of your Son, Jesus. Lord, when we look to the world for peace, help redirect us to find our peace in you. This is one of the craziest times of the year, Lord, and I pray that we take the time and pause and rest in the peace that you give us. May we know what, we don't, we don't know what's coming, Lord, but when we fix our eyes on you, we can have a peace that passes all understanding and rest in the assurances and promises that you give us. Thank you, God, for sending us peace. We thank you for your son leaving us his peace. And help us be a light of peace in this world so that others can see you. And it's in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I come this morning and I just ask for help. I pray that you would help me communicate clearly the peace that you offer to us in Christ. I pray that you would help us comprehend it and experience it. Father, we pray for the help of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I love Christmas traditions. You know, they're great, aren't they? In our home, we have Christmas traditions. Uh, for years, uh, probably more than a decade, we used the Advent calendar that one of my children made here in the children's ministry of the church, and we hung the ornament and we did the Christmas readings together. Of course, we have the Christmas cookie tradition, making just gobs of cookies and spending hours decorating them. Uh, we have a special tradition regarding one unique ornament in our house. It's an incredible Hulk Christmas ornament, and my son Caleb is the only one who can hang that ornament, 
and it has to be the last ornament on the tree, and it goes in a very specific place. It's a great Christmas tradition that he threatens to harm anyone if they deviate from it. Uh, There's one other Christmas tradition in our home. Arguments. Arguments about outside Christmas lights. I am 100% to blame for this tradition. I am a Scrooge when it comes to decorating. I do not like it, especially decorating the outside of the house. So I complain and I mumble and I groan and it still gets done. But every year there's a, an argument about it. This year it was probably only a 10 or 15 minute argument. You know, tensions rose and then de-escalated. But to my shame, sometimes that argument goes on for days. And there are nasty glances and cold shoulders and short words. Until eventually one of us moves, makes a move towards the other in reconciliation. Towards peace. Not just the absence of nastiness, but the restoration of fellowship and of, of intimacy. Uh, no one can make that move on our behalf, right? Uh, the kids might try to facilitate it. They might say, Dad, you're being a jerk. Stop. But the peace won't be restored until one of us makes a move towards the other. And that's what we have in the birth of Jesus. God moving beautifully, mysteriously, wonderfully towards us to make peace. Uh, Like with anything God does, this is not a flat, boring peace. God does not do boring, right? This is a robust, profound, beautiful, multifaceted peace. And this morning I want to take time to explore three dimensions of this peace that God brings to us, his people. The first and most important dimension is the y-axis of peace. The vertical dimension, vertical peace, peace with God. And this is the peace that the angels in the field are heralding on that Christmas night. Uh, Go back to this text and, and read it again with me, the text that the Mindermans read this morning. Oh, I think I need to turn my remote on. There we go. Okay, there we go. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with a great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. In this passage, there's a sense in which the angels are serving as evangelists. They're proclaiming the good news, the gospel. Matter of fact, the word there that says, I bring you good news, that is the word eangelion. 
where we get the word evangelize, evangelist, evangelism, proclaiming good news. And that's fitting because angels are messengers. They're there to announce something. They're not mediators. They're not there to broker a peace or establish a peace, but simply announce a peace. They appear in that night sky just outside of Bethlehem to announce God is moving towards you to bring peace. But consider for a moment what that actually means. My grandfather, Grandpa, Grandpa Hulick, was the nicest, kindest, most gentle man I have ever known in my life. He loved the Lord. He loved reading his Bible. He loved prayer. He loved us. He took us to amusement parks. He taught me how to play pinochle and how to play AC Ducey. I loved my grandfather. But I never reconciled with him. I never made peace with him. Why? Well, because to my knowledge, there was never estrangement. There was never hostility. There was never conflict. Reconciliation, making peace, you you don't do that unless there's been a falling out, unless there's been conflict. So if God is coming to reconcile, to make peace, it means that there was estrangement, that God was angry, that there was conflict, even enemies. Well, who were these enemies? It was us. We were. That's an important truth to internalize. It's been very misunderstood. In, in Jesus' day, there was a fundamental misunderstanding about who the enemies of God were. It was always phrased as they or those, those armies, those pagans, those nations, th- those people who oppress us, God's people. It's always they, them, those, never us, we. A, a modern misunderstanding kind of moves in, the diff- in a different direction. The modern misunderstanding is that God isn't angry with anybody. He doesn't have enemies. We're all at root good, and so we say things like, oh, he's got a good heart. Those are fundamental misunderstandings that then distort what we expect in a Savior. In Jesus' day, because of who they understood the enemy to be, they expected a savior who would come in and drive out the foreign armies, who would come in and execute judgment against the sinner, those who, cons- who sinned conspicuously. And in today's world, because we assume we're okay, but yet we don't feel okay, we look for a savior who's going to come and help us feel better. A a glorified self-help guru. A a Stuart Smalley on steroids. Will just make us feel better about ourselves. The Apostle Paul misunderstands or corrects these misunderstandings and these wrong expectations for a Savior. He says words that sound so harsh but are so true. 
Colossians 1, he says that we are alienated from God and, and his enemies because of our evil behavior. In Ephesians 2, he says that we are by nature objects, children of wrath. Sounds like horrible, bad news. And if it wasn't for our loving, merciful God, it would be. But that same Paul in Romans 5 says that while we were weak, while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, he reconciled us. He made peace with us. To those angels out in the field, when they announce peace on earth, they're saying God is coming to heal the cleft, the cleft in relationship, to repair the breach in fellowship. He's coming to make friends with his enemies more. He's coming to adopt his enemies as his sons and daughters. How? How does this happen? Well, in the past and in other times, peace was often brokered through a marriage, right? One side supplies a bride, one side supplies a groom, and there the peace is brought, uh, the two sides are brought together in the bonds of matrimony and peace is established. The miracle of Christmas is slightly different. It's that God is bringing together the two warring parties, not in a marriage, but in wedding two natures. In one person. He's bringing together Godhead and humanity in the person of Jesus, born humbly and lowly in a manger. The classic definition of the incarnation is that Jesus existed, his two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of these two natures being in no way annulled by their union. These two natures brought together in the incarnation. And it is a beautiful mystery. See, when God comes close, he, he doesn't just come, you know, this close and keep us at arm's distance. He comes all the way and takes on our very nature to reconcile human nature to God. And it doesn't end there. After becoming one of us, he shoulders all of our offenses to make reparations. He doesn't just become one of us, he becomes our sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God becomes God in the flesh, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Like, Dan, you're confusing your holidays. That's Good Friday, not Christmas. And I wouldn't argue with you. But the two are inextricably linked. Without Christmas, Good Friday isn't possible. And without Good Friday, Christmas isn't enough. When the angels announce peace... They aren't announcing that God is coming halfway and now we have to come the rest of the way. They're saying God is establishing peace on earth. He is coming and doing all that is necessary to make peace with those on whom his favor rests. And their impulse was right, glory to God in the highest. 
God has made peace with us. That's the most important dimension of this peace, the vertical dimension. But when this peace comes crashing down into our world, it ripples across the x-axis of our existence too, the horizontal axis, and we have peace with one another. Stick with me here for just a moment. In the Old Testament era, God's presence was made most manifest through the tabernacle and the temple. The visible place where God's glory dwelt, where people came to meet with God. That is where God was most profoundly present. It was a visible sign of God with his people. But as wonderful and absolutely awe-inspiring as this temple was, it was only a shadow of a bigger, more profound reality. It was only a shadow that was meant to be temporary and point ahead to something greater, bigger. Jesus. Jesus. Imagine, as a parent, or maybe an aunt and uncle, you're trying to communicate to your young child, and you say to them, we're going to go on a vacation to the beach this summer. And they say, what's a beach like? And you describe it to them, and it, they kind of get it. And you show them a picture, and they get excited but then you say, you know what, I want you to experience a little bit of what it's going to be like. So you build them a sandbox. And then you go to Walmart and you buy a kiddie pool. And you put it right next to the sandbox. And just to make it real, you break some glass and hide it in the sand. And this is like a beach. Now the sandbox, the pool, that is a fun. They enjoy it, right? But it's not the beach. It's meant to foreshadow, to point them ahead to what the reality will be like. In the Old Testament temple, God's glory descended and it was present there. Sacrifices were offered. Sins were forgiven. People came and worshipped. But when Jesus came, he said something greater than the temple is here now. Something greater. I, I am the radiance of the glory of God. I am Emmanuel, God with you in the flesh. I am the sacrifice. In me there is forgiveness of sins. In me you're invited to come and worship the Father. Jesus is what the temple was pointing towards. And he is a better temple. Better because, unlike the old temple, there are now no dividing walls keeping people separate. In the Old Testament temple, the temple of Jesus' day, there was four courts. Each one divided by a wall. Uh, the outer court, or sometimes called the court of Gentiles, was open to anybody. Anybody could come, but Gentiles could not go beyond the wall. There was an inscription there that said, advance beyond this wall under peril of death. Gentiles keep out. Uh, the next court in was the court of women. Women could come in, 
and participate in that court. But there was yet another wall. Women keep out. The next court in, the court of men or the court of Israel, all the Jewish men were welcome to come into that temple and worship. And you were yet closer to the center of the temple, the holy of holies where God's presence was. But there was a wall there too. You couldn't go beyond that wall unless you were a priest. And then you could enter into the court of the priests where the altar was. And then only one priest once a year could go all the way into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. There was a series of walls. That's the context for what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 12. Not 12, there are not 12 chapters in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Through Christ, we all have access to the Father. There is no now dividing wall of hostility. Wow. I mean, this passage, just wow. The prophet Isaiah had said, he will come and he will be prince of peace. Paul advances that. No, he's not just your prince of peace. He is your peace. I loved that quote that Chris read this morning. It's not the absence of all conflict. Peace is Christ in his presence. It's a glorious truth that God has reconciled both Jew and Gentile to himself and in so doing has brought them together into one new man. The early church referred to themselves as a third race. There was Jew, there is Gentile, but now in Christ we're this one new exciting entity. We're new in Christ. So let this just wash over you for a minute. If when we sow discord, if when we choose division, if or when we allow offenses to break fellowship, we are working against the purposes of Christ, against the gospel, against the peace that he died to establish and are erecting, again, dividing walls of hostility. I don't want that negative note to be the focus of this sermon at all. The focus is on the hope-filled truth that God has made peace. Peace from him that then spreads through all the people of God. That peace is to be experienced here and now in the church. Not perfectly, but truly. Not fully now, but in part because it's already been established in the work of Christ who tore down the dividing walls. 
and it most certainly will be experienced in his second advent. Which brings us to the third and final dimension of peace. I guess you could call this the Z-axis. It's the future peace that Christ promises. The peace that comes to us when all the work and all the toil is over. For three years, when I was in seminary, during the, the academic year, I worked hard. You know, I went to class, usually, um, studied sometimes, uh, coached diving. It was intellectually tiring. Over the summers, I worked for a tree company. Put in, you know, eight, ten hours a day in the heat, in the summer, in jeans and long sleeve shirts, slumped over bushes, trimming the trees, the bushes. It was exhausting work. And I slept so well. There is a wonderful rest, a peace that comes after the labor is done. If you're a student, you know that, right? You just took your last final, just submitted your last paper, and you go, if you're a teacher, if you're a professor, the grade book is closed. The work is done. The Jewish people have a greeting. Shabbat Shalom. Have a peaceful Sabbath. The Sabbath was another institution instituted by God to point us ahead to Christ. On the seventh day after God had completed his work, he rested. And he ordained that we would rest one day a week. We work, we labor, and we rest. It's a wonderful pattern that is meant to point us ahead to the perfect rest that Jesus invites us to when our labor's done. The life, this life, is hard. It can be a test. It can be toil. It can be tiresome, especially for the Christian. But Jesus says, come and enter my rest. Complete, perfect, and eternal rest. Christmas is a celebration of the peace that has been won, has been brought. And it should heighten in us a longing for that perfect, eternal peace that will be ours when Christ Jesus returns. This morning, as I conclude, I, I offer no practical applications. Simple invitation. If you don't know this peace, I would love to talk to you about how you step into the peace that God has established with his people. No practical applications, though. Some truths are just so great You need to sit with them. You need to be taken in by them. You don't travel north to see the northern lights and then look up and say, hey, what do I do with this? Or go and sit under the frescas of the Sistine Chapel and say, "Um, how practical is this? 
Some truths are just so beautiful, you need to just sit with them. So hear this again. God has made peace with you by coming close. So close. Uniting his nature to ours in the person of Jesus. Born as a child. Born to die. If that wasn't miracle enough, this God-man was born to die a death that he didn't deserve. To establish this peace. A peace that spreads across all the dimensions of human existence. And we can say with the angels, glory to God in the highest. Will you pray with me? Father, there is nothing more anchoring in our life than to know we have peace with you. Through the ups, the downs, the trials, the triumphs, knowing that we have peace with you gives us courage to face tomorrow. Father, we pray that if there's anyone in this room who does not know this peace, anyone listening on YouTube who does not know this peace, that your spirit would be coming close to them and drawing them in to the peace that your son Jesus Christ has won for us. Father, having experienced that peace, we, may, we pray that you would make us agents of peace in this church and in this world. Help us to go out and like the angels announce, God has come close. He has brought peace. Father, we thank you that what we could not do, you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.